Amen. Amen. If you have Bibles today, uh, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 8. If maybe you're sitting near somebody, you might not have brought a Bible. Um, You can just look on with somebody next to you. Those of you who have Bibles, if you notice somebody nearby who does not, uh, just have them look on with you. Uh, We believe that the answer is found for our lives in the Word of God. Uh, It's nothing that can happen in politics. It's nothing that can happen in entertainment. Uh, It's nothing that can happen uh, by getting a great job and and helping to, you know, kind of keep that job and helping your business to thrive. But the answer is found in Jesus Christ. And I want to talk to you today just for a few moments. I want to share with you three people about three people who encountered Jesus and how he changed their lives. We could talk about a number of others in the New Testament, but there are three individuals that I I think their lives were changed in an instant when it seemed like everything was lost and everything was hopeless and they were helpless. Jesus stepped in and made the difference. You know, today, my desire for a pastor, as a pastor on Back to Church Sunday, for you is not that you would find this church to be loving, though we pray it is. It isn't that you would find this church to be alive, though we pray it is. We, it isn't that you would just find that, you know, everybody around you is just so nice to you, uh, though we hope they are. And if anyone isn't, you can see me out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but if, you know, that, that you would just find this welcoming spirit, I, I hope that that is a part of what you find. But my desire as a pastor for you today is not that you would have a nice encounter with Praise Tabernacle. It's that you would have a life-changing encounter with someone who has changed so many lives of the people who are already sitting in this place and are a part of this local assembly, Jesus Christ can change your life forever. Not for the worse, but for the better. A lot of people think that if I come to Jesus, you know, I got to give up this and I got to give up that and I got to give up all kinds of things. And we worry about all the things we got to let go of. And what we're not really seeing is all the blessings that he wants to put into your life if you will give him an opportunity and give him a chance and, and allow him to change your situation. The first person I want to talk to you about today is a man by the name of Jairus, and we're going to take some time and we're going to read a little portion of the scripture. We're not going to read the entire thing at the moment because sandwiched in between Jairus' story is also the story of somebody else that we're going to talk about as well. But Jairus was a man, the Bible lets us know, starting at verse 40, it says this, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. 
I'm going to stop reading right there just for a moment, right in the middle of verse 42. Jairus was a religious man. He was somebody who the Bible calls him a ruler of the synagogue. He was associated with the religious system of the day. And you will remember, at least in part, I hope, that in the New Testament, when you begin to read the Gospels, you find that there are many religious leaders who don't like Jesus. In fact, pretty much through the entire time you read the Gospels, you come to understand very quickly that the religious leaders want to try to kill Jesus. They are out to get him. They don't want him. They don't like him. He is saying things that go against the very things that they teach. Now, the, the, the religious leaders of the day had a little bit of a problem. And their problem was this. Not only did they teach the law of Moses in a manner that changed things, but also they added to what the law already said, the Old Testament, what we now know as the Old Testament and read as the Old Testament. They added things to that. And so Jesus came out against them adding all kinds of nonsense and craziness to the religious system. So Jairus was a man who came from, as it were you, I guess you could probably call it the enemy side. Because the religious leaders were out to get Jesus. And Jairus came on this particular day in the Bible. We're going to read in a moment just a little bit further down how there were, there were crowds that Luke points out says was crushing Jesus. But as Jairus came to Jesus, the Bible lets us know this. That past all the religions, past all of the stuff that we think makes us okay with God, Jairus had a need in his life. And you know what? There are many people today who come from a religious mindset that if, you know, if I just go to church on Sundays, I'm okay. If I just go and I, every now and then, I just show up and pop into church, then everything's going to be fine. You know, I appease my conscience and then God's really impressed with me. But that was not the case with Jairus. And you know what? In the end, it's not the case with anybody. Because the bottom line is, is that no matter where you're coming from in life and no matter what it is that you are going through in your situation, you need to remember this, that each and every one of us has a need in our lives. We have a need that goes deep down into our hearts, a need that you don't tell anybody, a need that you cannot even begin at times to express with words, but you know that on the inside of you there is an emptiness, there is, a, there is just this void that you, know, you try to fill it with a relationship, you try to fill it with more hours at work, you try to fill it with all kinds of things, and yet you realize that the emptiness isn't being filled by anything that fixes it. This is why a lot of people end up in drugs and alcohol and, you know, all kinds of kinds of craziness in life that can begin to turn around and, and control your life. This is why they run after those things, because they're trying to fill an emptiness that, that was somebody once said that within the heart of each man and woman, there is a God-shaped vacuum that can only be filled by God. It can't be filled by anything else. But you know what? Jairus came to Jesus and the Bible lets us know that when he came to Jesus the Bible says this that he fell at Jesus's feet 
not exactly the posture of most of the religious leaders of the day. Everybody else, all the other religious guys that he probably would have been associated with, they would, they would sort of walk by Jesus and they'd look for something to try to make Jesus stumble and try to, you know, hook him into a little trick to get him to contradict himself or, or to do something that was contrary to the law or, or all of those kinds of things. They were constantly trying to trip him up and they were constantly walking by with an air of pride about them that says, you know, we're better than this, this Jesus in the crowd that, that seems to be following, crowd of misfits for all that, that matter. And, and they're, they're following him and you know what, we're better than all of them. But that wasn't the posture of this man. You see, because you, when you have a need and you begin to recognize you have a need, there is only one approach to God, and that approach will change everything, and it is the approach of humility. The Bible lets us know that he came to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, I've got a need in my life. And you know what? It wasn't a need that, that in his own heart he somehow felt he had to change. But you know what? God has a way of getting a hold of us from time to time. I pray that God never, ever, ever has to get a hold of me this way. Because I am a father. I'm a father of two beautiful girls. And you know what? This man came to Jesus because his daughter of, at age 12 was lying on her deathbed. As a dad, I try to I put myself in that situation. And as I read that scripture, if I put myself in his position, I almost immediately tear up because I think of my own two children and how I don't want anything bad to happen to them. I want to protect them from all harm. But this man is sitting there and he is absolutely helpless. He's got nowhere to run. He can't run to the doctors because they they're it's beyond hope at this point. And he comes to Jesus. And the Bible lets us know that he pleads with Jesus to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of 12, was dying. There are times in your life where there are things that begin to happen in your life that are absolutely out of control. You can't control it. You can't change it. You can't fix it. You can't do anything. Can I tell you that that is the time that you need to run to Jesus and you need to cast yourself at his feet and say, Lord Jesus, you've got to come with me right now. You've got to come with me right now into my situation to bring about a resolution, to fix the problem, to change how the outcome might be. Because right now, according to what I see, it's a hopeless situation. Now, what did Jesus do? Let's take a look at it. The Bible says this in the middle part of verse 42. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. One of the other gospel writers says, said, this, said it this way, that Jesus went with him. All of a sudden, you can sense in Jairus' heart hope springing alive, hope coming alive. He is absolutely hopeless and helpless. He pleads with Jesus. He knows he's of the religious establishment that wants to somehow squash Jesus and his message. But this man puts that all behind him. He says, you know what? That's nonsense. I know what this man can do. I know his power. I've seen it. And you know what? We can't deny that we need his power in this situation. I can't deny that I've got to have him step into my moment, into my situation, and bring about a change. And so, Lord, please 
Come with me to my house. Lay hands on my daughter. As one, one gospel writer points out what he said. Lay hands on my daughter that she can be well. And the Bible lets us know that Jesus went with him. Can you imagine the hope that is coming alive? But right in the middle of all of that, we see somebody else who encountered Jesus. This woman, a woman who the Bible says had an issue of blood. We don't know really what that is. We just know that it left her in a weakened condition. For approximately 12 years of her life, there was a a problem that she had that left her in a constant, hopeless, helpless, weakened, physical condition. Now, Jesus is on his way to help Jairus. He's on his way to minister to him and to his need. This man had pleaded with him, and now he's got the attention of Jesus. And all of a sudden, this happens. Let me introduce you to the second person that I want to talk to you about. It is a helpless woman in need. Verse 42 says, the middle part of it is Jesus was on his way. The crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. In fact, Mark's gospel, Mark the gospel writer also points out not only could no one heal her, but also it points out she spent everything that she had on doctors and she did not get better. She grew worse. So her condition is worsening at this point. She is in a situation now where her problem is getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. But the Bible says she was there in that crowd. Now, there are a number of things. Let's just set Jairus aside for a minute. There are a number of things that could have held this woman back. It could have held her in her place. It could have said, you know what, stay home. As it is with the case of many who stay home on Sundays. Stay home from church. Don't worry about it. Don't bother. Well, one of the problems was there are too many people. There's a crowd. You don't like crowds. In fact, you are weak physically. You're not even going to be able to get close to Jesus. There isn't any way that when you go through the doors of a church that you're going to be able to get close to Jesus. Because you know what? You're too weak, whether it's physically or whether it's spiritually, whether it's emotionally, you're just too weak. You're too weak to get close to Jesus. That weakness could have held her back. That thought that there's a crowd, I'm never going to be able to press my way through that crowd. That could have held her back. But there was something that arose in her heart on that particular day that said, I've got to get up out of my house. I've got to get out of my situation. I've got to get out of here, and I've got to go meet with somebody who I know. She said this. If I can just touch the hem of his garment or a piece of his cloak, I'll be made well. She didn't sit there and say, you know, I've got to have him lay his hand on my head and I've got to have him do a particular, you know, a particular kind of thing. No, instead, she said, if I can just reach out and I can touch him. There is a desire within the heart of each and every one of us to reach out and touch the Lord and be changed by Him. And yet there are so many things that hold us back 
from going into the presence of the Lord and experiencing His power and His greatness and what He can do for us as individuals. There are so many things that will hold us back. And you know what? I want to encourage you with this little woman. Don't let anything hold you back because somehow she got the strength. She got the determination in her heart. She said, I can't fix this. Clearly the doctors can't fix it. And you know what? I got no more money. I can't do anything to change the situation. I've got somebody. There's somebody that I think can change it and I'm going to go and if I can just touch just the little hem of his garment, the piece of his cloak, I know I'm going to be made well. The Bible lets us know that she pressed through the crowd. Let's listen to this. The Bible says this in verse 44, she came up behind him. Somehow she managed to get through. Luke points out that the crowd is almost crushing Jesus. They're so close to Jesus that, that they're bumping into him. And they're, they're, you know, they're kind of squishing him. They're just so close how this woman could make it through. But that is the determination of faith. The determination of faith says, I'm going to press through no matter what stands in my way. I'm going to press through no matter what is happening in my life. I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to keep going until I get what I need. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. All of a sudden, something changed. Now, something remarkable happens in this moment. That as she is healed, Jesus says this. Look at verse 45. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. In other words, he's saying, Lord, everybody's touching you right now. But you see, this is the difference between the touch of faith and just the casual touch. Most people attending church on this day or any other day, many people, are going after the casual touch. Just to be close enough to appease their consciences, just to be close enough to God and to church and to Jesus to somehow just feel better about themselves. You know, God didn't send Jesus into this world so, uh, to die on the cross so that you could actually feel better about yourself. He died on the cross so that you could be cleansed from sin. To me, that is the greatest thing of all. And when we come into church, we need to press in to touch him. Whatever the need is in your life, that is the touch of faith. That is pressing into him and saying, Lord, I've got to have more of you than I had yesterday. It, there, there are those who attend this church on a regular basis. We challenge them on a regular basis to continue to press into the Lord, to reach out and touch him because you know what? He's going to change your situation if you reach out and you touch him in faith it's that little woman who touched his cloak not his body because Luke says they were almost crushing him so clearly there were those who literally were touching the body of Jesus in that crowd and yet power went out from him when someone touched his cloak not even his body not his arm not his his back not his his foot nothing like that just his his clothing and Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? He knew the touch of faith. 
He knew the the one person who had come up behind him. He knew that there was somebody who was there who had intentionally come to meet with him. It was a helpless woman with a need. And you know what? You might be sitting here in your life. You might be saying, I'm absolutely helpless. Can I challenge you today? Your answer is not on the surface. It's not out there in the world. It's not out finding it somewhere else. It is reaching out to Jesus with the touch of faith, saying, Lord, I want to touch just a little piece of your glory and your greatness. I want to touch the hem of your garment and be changed forever. That is the answer. Now, the amazing thing about this is that all of this, let's go back to Jairus for a minute, because Jesus tells this woman as she finally comes forward and says, it was me, I did it, I touched you. And he said, your faith made you well. It was her faith in that situation that made her well. But all of this happened and Jesus met her need and Jesus changed her without a face-to-face encounter. Without a pleading, there was no, nothing similar to what Jairus had had. There was nothing like that, but she was changed in a moment. All of a sudden, things changed on a dime. But what about this poor guy, Jairus? You see, Jesus has now stopped. This woman has created an interruption. All of a sudden, things in, in Jairus' life, Jairus is thinking one thing. My daughter, she's still home. She's dying. Listen to what the Bible says. It says this in verse 54. I'm sorry, verse, let me go back a little bit. In verse 49, the Bible says this. While Jesus was still speaking... Someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. The news that this man was trying to avoid, the news that broke this man's heart, this father all of a sudden hears the news that he he felt was coming apart from anybody from anybody being able to do anything and apart from his encounter with Jesus he knew that this was going to happen but now he is there he's on his way with Jesus and this little woman comes up behind Jesus touches him of his garment and Jesus stops Can you imagine I don't know if Jairus was like please come on come on and now all of a sudden he hears the news As a father that breaks his heart, your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead. And they said this, don't bother Jesus anymore. Somehow they believed that Jesus could heal the sick, but couldn't raise the dead. Even even Martha, the sister of Lazarus that we read about in John chapter 11, believed, Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. But now that he's dead, nothing can be done. And yet, can I tell you that nothing could be further from the truth? Because the need of this religious leader now was buried in the, the avenue, through the avenue of death. It was done for in his mind. There was no hope whatsoever. And yet, the Bible tells us this. Hearing this, verse 50 of Luke chapter 8, hearing this, 
Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. There is only one person who can heal the dead. Jesus. Nobody else can do it. He said, He's gonna, she's going to be healed. In verse 51, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They don't know what kind of power he's got. They haven't quite seen what Jesus can do. And you know what? i got to tell you today, you might not understand what Jesus is able to do. There are a lot of people today who are buried in their habits and they're buried in their lifestyles and they're buried in all kinds of things and they think, I can't get out of here. There is no way out. And sure enough, somewhere along the way, somebody comes along and says, yep, that's just the way you are. No, i got to tell you that Jesus is able to pull you out of that mess, though it seems like there's death and there's no hope. He is able to change the situation. You see, we see it as dead. He sees it as asleep. The Bible, let me just read. Let's go on. Verse 53. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. You see, on a physical level, on a fleshly level, on our level, she's dead. On his level, just a little slumber. No big deal for Jesus. Lazarus was dead in the tomb for four days. Martha says, he stinks by now, Jesus. Roll away the stone. Why? Because to Jesus, he's just having a little nap. Just a little noni-noni. He's just going to sleep for a little bit. It's no big deal for Jesus. Whatever you might see as being put to death in your life, that thing that you find can just you've got no hope as a result of it you need to know that he can speak life into your life he can change your situation and listen to what he did the bible says this in verse 54 but he took her by the hand and said my child get up her spirit returned, which lets us know that on the physical level she was still dead, but there is somebody who goes beyond that level, who goes into a supernatural realm and is able to call dead spirits or spirits back into dead bodies. He said her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them, give her something to eat because she's alive, and at this point she's probably hungry. She hasn't eaten in a while. Give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. He came into Jairus' situation. When Jairus thought all hope was lost, when those who delivered the message to him said, no, there's no hope, there's nobody, not even the teacher now, Jesus can fix this. Sorry, it's done for. Jesus said, no, it's not done for. I can change the situation. I can step into your moment. I can step into your life. And I can change whatever you seem to think is dead and gone and down and out. And there's no hope. I can change it. And he did. And he can do it for you. There's one final person I want to just share with you. One person that I want you to meet, this is somebody who made her own trouble. 
It's somebody who, apart from, you know, these two people that we were talking about, there's nothing inherently what we see as sinful in them. And we know, we believe, at least in this church, that the greatest need of mankind is the sin problem. Is somehow getting the sin problem taken care of. You see, the first two that I introduced you to, we didn't talk about that at all, but we've got to talk about it with this woman because she violated the Scripture. She violated the law of Moses in that day. There was no New Testament at the time of Jesus. It, the New Testament was being, was being lived out. The New Covenant or New Testament in His blood. That was yet to come. But right now, all of a sudden, in John chapter 8, if you have... Your Bibles, just turn over to John chapter 8. There's a story of a woman who was brought to Jesus. This was a woman who, as I said, made her own trouble by her own bad decisions. It was the sin of her life that got her brought to Jesus, that had her dragged to Jesus. She didn't come to Jesus willingly. She actually had no, there was nothing in her heart that said, I got to go see this teacher. There was nothing there. In fact, it seems as though nobody really knows where the, where the dude was in the story. Where was the guy? Always wondered that. How come they didn't drag the guy to Jesus too? A lot of theories swirl around that. And I, I, don't, I don't want to get into what the Bible doesn't say, but one of the theories seems to indicate that maybe it was one of the religious leaders that they were trying to cover up for. We don't know. But the Bible says this about this woman, starting John chapter 8, verse 2. It says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. What a humiliating scene. And said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, taken from the bed of adultery. And the Bible lets us know and says in verse 5, In the law of Moses, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question, the Bible says, as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They took this poor woman, this woman who had made the wrong choice at the wrong time in her life. She had made a bad choice, a sinful choice, a choice that is, according to the New Testament, is still a sinful choice. Not just the, the law in the Old Testament, but according to the New Testament, still sin. You see, the sin is the greatest problem that as, as mankind, as, as humankind, we face all around the world. Sin is the greatest need of the heart of men and women. It's not some physical need or emotional need or spiritual need. It is the sin problem that has to be fixed. But now they're saying, we don't want to fix it. We just want to snuff out our life. So, Jesus, what do you say? Let's read the story. This is fabulous. The Bible says this. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. 
When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Nobody really knows what he wrote. But the Bible lets us know this. If any one of you is without sin, let him throw the first stone at her. All of a sudden, they begin to think, oh, yeah, there's a part of the law of Moses I think I violated. They begin to remember times in their lives where they did this and they did that and they did that. And, and all of a sudden, in the back of their mind, maybe it wasn't adultery. Maybe it wasn't some, some you know, really, really serious violation of the law. But they remember, I violated the law in this way. And Jesus says, if you're without sin, go ahead. Throw the first stone. Let's read on. And again, he stooped and wrote in the ground. Verse 8, verse 9, it says, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones, because age always brings wisdom, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So now everybody has gone home. They've made this big old scene. They've dragged this woman to Jesus. She didn't come of her own choosing, but now she is in the presence of Jesus. I'm just curious in this building today, how many of you parents, or how many of you, if you're not parents, how many of you in this building were, were taken to church by your parents you were taken to church. You know what I mean by that, right? You were taken. Yeah, I was too. We were taken. And we were thrust in the presence of Jesus. <laughs> but you know what? As much as I was taken to church by my mom and dad, I was thrust in the presence of Jesus. I will tell you that being in the presence of Jesus is what changed my life. It wasn't church. It wasn't going into a building that that's called a church. It was understanding all of a sudden one day I need Jesus in my life. I am sinful. There is something on the inside of me that can't be fixed by the world. It can't be fixed by anything else. It can only be fixed by Jesus. Verse 10, here it is. Verses 10 and 11. Jesus straightened up and asked her. Now, this is his fir the first time he has spoken to this woman. After everybody has left, now Jesus, the Bible says, he straightens up after riding in the dirt. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now, here is his message of hope. Go now. And leave your life of sin. I want you to see this, and I want you to understand this a little bit better, because the only one there on that day who had the right to throw the first stone and to throw any stones whatsoever was Jesus. He could have said, you know what? Come on, fellas, you don't have a right, but I do. Look at how bad this woman is. Look at the bad choices, the sinful choices she has made. Bring all the rocks to me, fellas, and I'll, t I'll take care of them. He didn't do that. He had the spiritual right. He had the right according to his absolute purity and holiness because there was no sin in him. He was, in fact, that one without sin. He could have picked up the stones and he could have made 
short order of this woman as a result of her sin. She violated the law of Moses. They were right. She did that. But you know what Jesus is about? Jesus is about giving second chances to folks. To those who have made their beds, they slept in it, and now they're trying to pick up the pieces. And they're wondering, how in the world am I going to do it? How in the world am I going to pick up the pieces of my life? What's going to happen now? I've made a mess out of things. My life's a train wreck, and everybody who walks by me stops and looks because they all love a train wreck. They look at me as a poster child for bad decisions, for wrong thinking. They look at me for, as the kind of individual who does things his way and then somehow can't seem to dig his way out or her way out of, of the problem and the situation. But can I tell you that Jesus Christ is the one who changed this woman's life forever. He said, I don't condemn you either. The Bible says this in Jesus when he was speaking to Nicodemus on that night. That night, that Nicodemus, another religious leader who came to Jesus by night, he said to him, we know that, that verse of Scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But you know what verse 17 says? After John 3.16, it says, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world might have life through him. You know what, Jesus, whatever you've done in your life, there are a lot of people around you who already throw stones at you. But Jesus will never be that one to pick up the stone. Jesus will never be that one who will hammer you over the head and say, you know what, you've made too many, many bad decisions for me. You've gone too far in, in a life of sin. Not even I can reach you. No, the Bible says that his arm is not too short that it cannot save. It doesn't matter how low you go in the pit of despair, in the pit of sin, in the pit of problems. Jesus can reach you. He knows how to get a hold of you. And he can change your life forever. He didn't do anything on that day day that would indicate he's ready to condemn everything that he did spoke of forgiveness and another chance you might be in this place today you might say you know what I need another chance I need the Lord to do something for me that I know I can't do for myself when every head bowed and every eye closed 